Welcome to the Tales of Africa podcast with your host, Richmond Setrana. We are creating a unique medium of communication where African stories and perspective matter. Here in our studios today, we have a celebrated journalist, David Hundein, who will be talking to us about his works that he's been doing as a journalist in a not-so-welcoming political climate, and then how he's been able to defy all odds to get to where he is today. So, I'll let him introduce himself, but before that, I'll just say something small about him for our listeners to just have a little idea about who we have in our studios today. So, David is the West Africa correspondent for the Africa Reports, and he's also had stints with the CNN, Newswire Nigeria, Business Day Nigeria, among other media houses. So, um, I have some questions I have in mind to ask him, but I know David has a lot to say, so I'll let it go naturally, and then it will take its, its, its flow, its course from here. So, David, welcome to our studios. Thank you for having me. Okay, David. So, we'd want you to, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and then, you know, your professional work. So, you are a celebrated journalist, okay? And I myself, I'm into communications, freelance writing, and journalism. So, I know there are young Africans out there, journalists who want to do, go on to do great things as you've done. So, how can they achieve some of the things that you've achieved? What has been your journey like? Um, to be honest, I'd be, I'd be lying if I said that I, I set out with the, with the specific intention of, um, for example, becoming an investigative journalist or achieving something in this, in this space per se. I mean, um, I actually started out in, in, in marketing, um, I had okay. a degree in media, but I started off my career in Africa in marketing and it was after I left my job in 2016 that I sort of started gravitating back toward journalism but even then when i came back into the space um i didn't come in as a journalist per se so i was working as a tv writer okay. uh, on a show called, on a show called uh, uh, the other news okay. which is basically if you've ever if you've ever watched the, the daily show with yeah, Trevor Noah. on comedy yes. central it's essentially the nigerian version wow. of that so the host is a nigerian stand-up comedian called uh, okay Bakasi. so i was i was a writer on wow. the show and uh, it was quite a big deal we got covered in the new yorker wow uh, it was a netflix documentary made about us N- nice so that was kind of what like catapulted me into the big time and then i i started thinking okay now i have a bit of an audience and i feel like there, there are a lot of things that i want to say but the medium of political satire I find it quite limiting because everything else, everything you say has to be funny, hmm. right? Yeah. And to be honest, there are lots of things, there are a lot of conversations that you want to have in this part of the world that aren't funny at all. That's true. They're very serious conversations. So I thought I'm going to, I'm going to start writing with, uh, from a more serious point of view. Okay. And I'm going to start writing for more serious publications because I was already in the sort of like uh, global facing journalism space. I was writing for uh, a website called ccn.com, which was like American-focused okay. uh, political and finance news. So, but in 2019, I, I decided to pivot. Okay. I start you know, paying more attention to the Nigerian space, which was in, like immediately after the elections in Nigeria in 2019. So to all intents and purposes, that is where this started. So that was February 2019. By May 2019, I had built up a bit of a portfolio in Nigeria. I started doing a, a regular business day column I was doing some stuff with Vanguard newspaper and the scoop as well. And that was when sort of people started knowing who I was really wow. in yeah. Nigeria. I can imagine. And, you know, again, and then I started to further, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, capitalize on on the exposure I was getting mm. to sort of like start. Uh, I started off with like doing like commentaries and analysis, and then when I started becoming more sort of known in this field, then I started going more into investigative, you know, deep dives. Yeah. So it started off with a piece I did, um, you know, about um, a rogue police unit in Abuja in 2019. Okay. How has that work out, worked out for you? Okay, you said you've been you've gone into investigative journalism, and then has that in any way, you know, affected your career as a journalist? You know, we at least we know you that we stand against oppression, and then you stand against injustice. You said it yourself that you decided to go more into serious, serious work, and then focusing more on the Nigerian space. So. I don't know. Has that in any way affected your career? Um, uh, it has affected it both positively and negatively. It's affected it positively in the sense that um, I've been able to build up a bit of a reputation okay. both locally and internationally, mm. which obviously is is always a good thing for a journalist because obviously your yeah. your portfolio is is your career. On the other hand, it's also been a negative. Uh, if you consider such things to be negatives, because um, I have developed quite a list of enemies. Right? Yeah. And it's not because I set out to look for enemies, but the thing is that when you when you tell stories that powerful people don't mm. want told, you become their enemy, right? So on, you know, I have uh, I can count people like uh, Paul Kagame, the president of Rwanda. He definitely doesn't like me. I thought he was uh, I really like, like uh, Aliko Dangote, who's the richest person in Africa. Well, I mean, so I did a, I did a, a column on him in 2019 where I basically said, uh, this guy is not who you people think he is, right? He's not some kind of like Renaissance African hero, you know, who is like uh, some okay. benevolent dictator kind of person, that there's no such thing as a benevolent dictator. And this guy is a human rights abuser, whichever way you want to dress it up. And this guy has several questions, you know, question marks around his supposed performance in Rwanda. And he did not take okay. uh, kindly to that article at all. Like, he sent me, like, the Rwandan, the Rwandan High Commissioner to Nigeria came after me. Everybody came after me. Were they, like, was, lawsuits? Or... Like, they sent me <laughs> the... the well, no, they didn't sue because I didn't say anything that... That wasn't true, and provably so. But they were extremely angry. In fact, they were so angry that the Rwandan High Commissioner okay. to Nigeria, his name is uh, Stanislaus Kamanzi, mm-hmm. he actually went to all the way to the publisher, the business day publisher, and uh, made a very angry phone call wow. to him and asked him to take down the article. And so it started off in 2019, but it really came to a head last year. That feeling of being yeah. targeted and you know being like under a siege. Um, I think when it really came to a head was during the NSAS protest because at that point, the government, you know, being that these are ex-military people, they can't really distinguish between uh, a youth protest movement and an anti-government regime change movement. They think the two are the same thing. So as far as they were concerned, anyone who is telling this story is trying to overthrow the government. So then, you know, we all became enemies of states. Journalists, protesters, lawyers, everyone who was involved became an enemy of it, especially journalists. I realized that you were tagged as a journalist in exile, right? Are you in exile? Yes, I am. I had to leave the country. On the 20th of October, which was when the Lekki massacre took place, um, 
the so I actually lived in Lekki at the time. Like my my apartment was maybe three or four miles away from the actual venue of of the shooting. So when it happened, I immediately realized that something had changed because when a government goes to that extent of turning, you know, setting the military against unarmed civilians, then you know that either of two things is going to happen. Either the government has completely lost control and it's going to go around shooting everyone from here on in, or it's going to try to cover up what it just did. And one of the ways it will cover up those things is by going after anybody who can tell the story. So either way, I knew that I was going to be in trouble. And then what uh, what further made my mind up for me was when some people who were also involved in the protest tried to leave the country through like through the airports, and their passports were seized from them. And then I immediately understood that okay, the gloves are off now, you know. And if you stay here much longer, something is going to happen to you, you know. Uh, it I know it wouldn't have taken much for them to figure out where where I lived, that sort of thing, even though I had taken some precautions. So essentially, I just packed up what little I could, you know, changed up my money to to dollars, and you know, early one morning, I found my way to to the border, semi border with Benin Republic. I found my way across the border, you know, and then from there, from from there, went to transit to uh, to to the eventual destination that that I ended up in, which I'm not allowed to say, obviously. So that's pretty much how it happened, and um, I wasn't the only one, by the way. If I remember clearly, there was one lady who took a recording of, I think a two-hour recording of the whole event at the Lekki toll gate, right? And then she has had to seek asylum in Canada, if, if I'm right, or one other country yes, like DJ that. Switch. Yes, so I understand the gravity of the situation. But then again, the fact that the government will come after you, that's, that's, isn't that proof that you guys are actually making an impact, that you are shaking things up? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that... Okay. Um, for the fact that the government considers uh, consider, considers us to be a threat, then that means we're definitely doing something. On the other hand, okay. no, in the sense that the goal the goal is not to rattle the government alone, right? Because it's possible for a, for a government to be rattled and then to simply shoot you back, right? The goal is to actually change something, not merely to rattle the government. And so far, we we are we are trying to change something i i don't think we've necessarily succeeded in doing that yet so i think it's premature it's a bit premature to like label ourselves a success and you know pat ourselves on the back we haven't actually achieved anything yet but i think we're on our way to achieving something you are in exile right now and when you were in nigeria okay you were able to make so much impact that they had to actually come after you but now that you are not you are yes. no longer in the country does that mean your work in nigeria has ceased how are you going to you know work outside Nigeria, how is that impact going to be felt? Well, for as long as the internet exists, you know, it's impossible to say that my work in Nigeria is done. In fact, it has just started. Like One of the okay. main reasons I actually left was because being mm-hmm. having relative freedom outside of Nigeria enables you to continue doing the work that maybe you will not be able to do if they arrest you or kill you. So, you know, the work has, has only just started. We aren't going anywhere. We're going to keep. So, for example, currently, I I still do a a business day column three times a week. I still do some investigative reporting with Newswire. I still do work with uh, with uh, the Africa Report, f- uh, focusing on on 
uh, on the ECOWAS region. So, I mean, there's never a time when I'm going to like completely wash my hands off Nigeria and say I'm done. The whole hope is there for, for Africa in general, probably Nigeria in particular. What hope is there because we are seeing the government come after people who want to see the right things being done. Okay. And the people who are at the forefront of some of these movements have had to flee, have had to seek asylum and all that. So what, what hope is there? What, what shows that things can actually get better? Because, you know, the institutions are all messed up. The systems are all messed up. And the very people who are supposed to see to the right things being done are actually corrupted. To be honest, to be honest, our 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 biggest hope, I think, is the fact that the uh, the average age of the leadership that is trying to lead Africa in a very dictatorial manner is actually much older than okay. the average age of Africa. So Africa's median age as a continent is 19.7. Mm-hmm. Nigeria's median age as a country is just 17.9. In fact, there are, some, there are some African countries where the median age yeah. goes as low as 15.3. So where you, your median age is that low, your median age is teenage, and then you have people who are in their mm-hmm. 70s and 80s, you know, being dictators. What that inevitably means is that give or take 10, 15 years, they're all going to be gone. They're all going to die. We're relatively younger people. We don't have yes. military. We don't have guns. We don't have the aircraft. So obviously... We can't really take them on directly because they will just shoot us and we'll die, right? But eventually when they go, right, there's going to be a vacuum of power. So it's our job now to make sure that we are organized in such a way that before that vacuum, you know, takes place, we will be positioned to be able to plug ourselves into that gap and hopefully plot a new course for the continent. So essentially it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of demographics. They're not going to be around much longer. So in the window that we have, which is another 10 to 15 years, I think, that is when we need to be doing the organizing. That is, in my opinion, the next 10 to 15 years is what will make or break Nigeria as a country and Africa in general. How can we prepare ourselves as young people? You know, this dictatorship has been perpetuated for a very, very long time. So it has become institutionalized i mean bad governance corruption and all that okay so what shows that in the next 10 to 15 years is going to change with us because these same leaders are people we elect from among ourselves they come up and then they still come and do the same old things so the the most important thing in my opinion is that people in our age bracket need to be properly informed about what a country is and how to run a country. I think the main issue that our, our older, you know, the older people in charge currently have is not necessarily the fact that okay. they're corrupt or that they're evil. That's not necessarily, I mean, they are those things. Mm. That's not necessarily the main problem. From my point of view, the main problem is that they were, they are actually ignorant. So they were thrown into these leadership positions mm. in their 20s and 30s. And they didn't yeah. really understand That's anything true. about statecraft, about politics, about economics, about nation building. They didn't really understand those things. Many of them were, they even came from the military. People like General Buhari in Nigeria, people like General Museveni mm. in Uganda, people like uh, General Kagame in Rwanda. These people came from military backgrounds and they, the only thing they knew how to do was fight enemies. So they have set up an entire set of countries across the continent whose only purpose is to fight enemies. They don't understand how to build economies, how to build alliances, how to grow, 
civilizations they don't really get that so i think for us who are coming up now the challenge is for us to learn those things so that when we eventually get to that point where we are in a position to now finally get into power mm-hmm. we don't simply repeat the mistakes of those mm-hmm. who came before us those who came before us weren't necessarily bad people as such but they came in and they were completely unprepared for leadership they didn't understand what leadership was they wanted to be in charge without being responsible they wanted to have control and power and authority without responsibility and that's what led to because you know every time you you try to wield power without responsibility the only way to continue wielding that power afterwards is to become a dictator because if you are wielding power without responsibility then Mm. you lose legitimacy right and then to if you want to keep hold of that power the only way to do that is by using an iron fist and that's how they end up becoming dictators across the continent i think countries like countries like ghana for example even though you know ghanaians will probably argue that ghana is not a you know it's, it's not a fantastic country but countries like ghana offer an interesting example you know in in how it is possible to actually i mean it's not perfect but how it's possible to actually go some way toward building a country as against just running an empire which is what yeah. you know many of our older leaders keep on trying to do. Ghana is a country where the for example the the last elections that just went past they were bitterly contested. The opposition party claims that the elections were rigged or whatever. The ruling party says it wasn't. But be that as it may, throughout the entire process, both before, during and after the election, there was never a time when the entire country went up in flames. There was never a country where people started there was never a time when people started dying over the election there wasn't you know the kind of like election violence you find in nigeria or in kenya or in uganda those things didn't happen in ghana and the reason is very simple it's because the people who the political elite in ghana actually have a little bit of understanding of what nationhood is of what statecraft is they are not just soldiers military people unlike what we have in other parts of the continent so we who are coming up now need to probably study the Ghanaian example a bit and then also educate ourselves with knowledge of what it means to lead a country and not to rule a country because the two things are very different things. Conferences, fellowship programs, trainings. What's your take on that? I'm not sure that seminars and those things like uh, workshops, those mm. things actually work. So well, the problem with those programs is that they themselves they themselves end up being sort of like academic exercises, right? What I think, for example, is that a a 35-year-old Nigerian who wants to be a politician in future and who wants to maybe one day become the president of Nigeria or who wants to become a, a, uh, a senator or a representative one day should probably take a visit to maybe the UK House of Commons. Just go and just see how things are done elsewhere, right? Just study how things are done elsewhere. Just go and experience it. Live. Uh, I think one of the most important things is that those who want to lead Africa in the future need to have spent a considerable amount of time outside Africa in other environments where people do things differently so that they have not been conditioned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to do things the way mm-hmm. that we currently do them. So that when they eventually get into those positions, the conditioning they will have will be completely different to the one that currently exists. I don't think somebody growing up in Nigeria now who the only kind of politics they know is a politics of 
politics of money and politics of violence. I don't think that person is equipped to be able to do anything different because that's all they know. So I think like for the African diaspora has a very, 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 very big role to play. Hmm. The young African diaspora has a very big role to play in changing the narrative when the time comes. I think when the diaspora starts to come home, as they inevitably will, I think we need to he- leverage heavily on the the new experiences and the new paradigms and the new ways of doing things that they will bring with them. That doesn't mean that the people at home are just spectators to be watching the diaspora, obviously, but it means that the, the that uh, that new perspective on things is probably one of the most important things about building a new system of doing things. I also want to add that there is really hope for Africa. So we are seeing a new crop of, you know, politicians emerge, okay, like Mr. Saware from Nigeria and then, you know, um, Bobby Wine from Uganda. So we can see that these are people who are actually coming to do something differently than what we've always experienced. So I think that this is the new trend of politics that will be seen in the in the coming future. So yes, there is hope for Africa. So David, please, do you have, I don't know, any last words? There are thousands of young Africans listening right now. What yes. message would you want to pass to them? And also to African leaders who may be listening. What exactly, what, what message do, would you want to pass to them? Right. So the message to the younger African listeners would be that uh, there are endless possibilities. There is another way of doing things. I know that you've grown up in a situation where all you have seen is all that you know. Um, if you've grown up in countries like Kenya or Uganda, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, you might not have seen that much of the world to, to make you feel like you know there's possibility beyond what you've seen. But the truth is that the world is a very big place. Mm. There, there are endless possibilities. So Never let the fact that you are being ruled, okay. not led, but ruled by old men with, with very outdated and dictatorial philosophies and tendencies condition you. Always resist that conditioning. They are different. It is possible to be different. Even in a difficult environment like Africa, you don't have to conform. If you convince yourself that, if you are convinced within yourself that you, you your life has value, that you have value to add as an individual, and that you would not, um, you would not consent to be stepped on by anybody. It is possible to change things. It is possible to be different. I mean, I would like to think that in, in my own little space, in my own little way, I have done some. I have achieved some little. You know, it's possible. It's impossible to quantify it, but I've achieved some little bits of change. And then, with regard to the to the older African leaders or rulers. What I would just say, even though they may not be listening to this, but for the benefit of the younger people who are listening, what I will say is that these people are not, they're not going to be around much longer. And so what we need to be doing now is not complaining about them, but planning ahead for when we will get there so that we can do something different. Thank you so much, David. This has been an awesome session with you. And I know our listeners have really learned a lot. And then this is going to ginger them and motivate them to also go on to do great things for Africa so that we can all, you know, move the continent forward. There's a lot of work to be done and we must all breathe ourselves up for the work ahead. Thank you so much. Do you want to, I don't know, leave your social media handles? People want to probably pick on your on your, on your mind and all that concerning certain issues. They want to follow you, hear more about you. All right. Okay, perfect. So um, you can catch me on Twitter. My handle is at David Hundain. That's at D-A-V-I-D. H-U-N-D-E-Y-I-N. 
and that's pretty much the only social media platform that I'm really on. I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well, but I don't really use those for public facing stuff. So Twitter, that's at David Hundane. Okay, so if you Google him too, he will show up and you are going to see even his tweets on Google and you are going to read a lot of things about him on Google. So guys, I would urge you all to follow him listen to him he's an awesome young man he's an outstanding journalist so kindly subscribe to our podcast like us on facebook instagram follow us on twitter everywhere and then subscribe to our podcast for more amazing content about africa we'll catch you another time thank you bye bye